Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. Start the show! You have all made it to the dance. Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 178. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And we go back to high school on this week's episode, and I mean that only metaphorically. This episode is not about high school, but my connection with this week's guest goes back a long way. Today on the show, I talked to CJ Latham. And CJ and I actually met the first time in sixth grade at Outdoor Lab. His elementary school and my elementary school went there together. I actually remember him from back then. And, you know, we were friends all throughout high school. And kind of into college, like I went to CSU, he went to Metro, but he would come up and party and drink with us and stuff. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this episode but forgot... And the reason I bring this up, and I'll get, I'll get there in a second, is that CJ is a real renaissance man. He talks about his obsessive personality. When he gets interested in something, he wants to learn as much as possible about it. And he tells me about his background in photography and in art and in bike racing. And then we get into like biology and chemistry and food science. And I wanted to ask him about when we were in college, he used to make up his own card tricks. And they were great card tricks, too. I remember thinking, I'm like, God, like, how did you do that? Like, they blew my mind. We'd just be sitting around drinking, and our friends would be like, hey, did you come up with any new card tricks? He's like, yeah, I'm kind of working on this one. And he'd show it to us, and we'd all just be amazed by it. It was so cool. So it's not surprising to me that he has had as many entrepreneurial ventures as he has had. He's had a ton of them. And we talk about a few of those on this week's show. The main one, though, and the main thrust of this episode is Bike A Latte. And you can check out Bike A Latte at bikealatteco.com. He makes a product called Pre-Ride Cold Brew, and it combines his two loves of coffee and cycling. You know, what can I drink that can optimize performance? I also love coffee. How do I create a product that I really enjoy? And he gave me one, which I drank while I was editing this episode, and it's fantastic. It tastes really, really good. I'm not a huge coffee drinker, and it's not because I don't like the taste. I like the taste of coffee just fine. And in terms of, like, beer, I'm a big craft beer nerd. I love, like, coffee stouts and, you know, beers combined with coffee flavor. It's really fun. It's really good. So I tried this. It's excellent. I don't drink a ton of caffeine, though. That's why I'm not a huge coffee drinker is because caffeine, I don't have any trouble going up. I need help coming down. And there's this tweet that I talk about all the time from Drew McGarry where he said, I was tired. So I drank a cup of coffee. Now I'm tired and anxious. But this one, I feel pretty good. I feel nice and focused. I feel like I can do just about anything. And so we talk about how you bring a product to market. 
how you go from, Hey, I have this idea to I'm holding this thing in my hand. What are the steps to get there? So if you are an aspiring entrepreneur, this is a, a nice roadmap of, of one man's journey. So I'm proud of this episode on a number of levels. I love highlighting people from my past who are doing interesting things and CJ certainly qualifies. And I love talking about the journey of entrepreneurs because when you are out there and you are creating, it's hard and it can be lonely and it's arduous. And I talk about ditch digging a lot. I mean, sometimes you just got to get out there and dig the ditch yourself. That's what you do. And so there's a lot going on in this episode. It is jam packed with info and insights and interesting stuff. I think you are going to love it. So we're going to get to that in a minute. I'd like to highlight another entrepreneur, Zach Knaus. He was on this show and he founded Four Degrees. It's funny, we left our agency gig the same day. Like we announced our resignation the same day from the PR agency that we both worked, which I'm sure they love that. That had to be a really good feeling for them, losing two account managers on the same day. But Four Degrees has been going strong for, good Lord, I don't know, how many years now? Seven, eight years? And their work is outstanding. They win awards for their work in campaigns, in social media, in online advertising. If you were doing anything online... If you're building a campaign, if you need to get a product in front of the right people, they will help you get the right messages on the right platforms geared toward the right people for a cost that is very affordable, very reasonable. Check them out on the web, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They have been the sponsor of every John of All Trades episode, and I look forward to working with them more in the future. Now then, let's get to episode 178 of the John of All Trades podcast. Features CJ Latham, the founder of Bike A Latte. He makes pre-ride cold brew, and his episode starts right now. Yes and no. Like so, like the Giro is not covered by NBC Sports Gold, so it's covered okay. by uh, this company called Fubu Sports, which is like an Italian company. Okay, not, um, not the Fubu that we know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and it's it's decent. I mean, it's uh, it's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I think I paid twenty bucks to watch it this month, so it's okay. not bad. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, if you if you want the content, like I pay for WWE Network, right? And so it's like if you use it, you know, so like people always it, yeah. bitch about their their cable packages right. and stuff. It, but if you're like, I think we're going to an a la carte system. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got to. It's like if you are like super bike racing fan, you will pay extra, as you just articulated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to most people, they're like, I would never pay for that. Like, right. I have NBC Sports on my cable, and how often do I watch it? Never, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you end up paying for a bunch of stuff you don't like. Right. But right before we turn the mics on, you told me. You love drinking coffee and yeah. love riding your bike. Yes. I know you grew up sort of like in the mountains. Is that yeah. where you fostered that love of bike riding? Uh, or is that more Kind recent? of. No, uh, I guess kind of because uh, I grew up in Cold Creek Canyon. And I used to date a girl up there. Oh, you so, did? Really? Yeah. Who? Yeah, Jenna. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh that's, oh, that's right. I remember this. Yeah, okay. For like three years. Yeah. And so... So I know what it's like up there, man. And like, yeah. It's it's back there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it takes an hour to get, you know, to Golder, uh, Golder. <laughs> <laughs> Golden or Boulder. That's so when they merge. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so across the street uh, was like this, just this network of dirt roads that kind of went up through this neighborhood and it was like directly across the street. And so I had... Uh, I guess, which was kind of like the first mountain bike, you know, fully rigid, no suspension, just like thicker tires. And I would just go do laps because I had nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And it, I don't know. I mean, and I think for a lot of kids, the bike is just awesome because it's your first 
freedom, right? Like you can actually yeah. go somewhere. You actually have some agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, and then when I went to uh, Metro, which is now a university, I think it's no longer a college, but right. um, I actually started bike racing there. And I was actually really more into it for just like the training rides. Like I love to go out and, and train and ride and learn all the science behind the training. And uh, we had this awesome guy, Coach Gareth, who I'm not sure what he's doing these days, but he was the uh, national U.S. national triathlon coach and then also wow. was the head coach of the cycling program at UCLA. And he was just kind of like freelanced for, for our club because uh, we didn't have anybody and he knew some people on the team. So he kind of helped coach us. And then, uh, so I started racing and I was actually really terrible at, the ra- at racing because I'm just not that competitive, <laughs> you know, like I love the pain of, of riding the bike, of riding the bike. And I love like that euphoria you get afterwards and yeah. you, you come become, what's that word where you like, you, you look for pain and you like, you like masochism or whatever that oh, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're sort of like, a, a yeah, masochist. you're a masochist. Yeah. yeah. Where you like, you enjoy the pain and I totally enjoy that part of it, but it, it's like the competitive side I don't know, I'm just not that competitive of a person. Well, it's like we're all, we're all out here on our bike, you know. Yeah. Like if if you finish 15 seconds ahead of me, how is my life materially different? Right. <laughs> exactly. It's not. Yeah. So yeah, you're not in it for the glory. Right. It's it's more for the process. Right. You, you hear that with stand-ups too. Like they want to achieve some level of success, and they want to, you know, get bigger bookings, you know, higher quality of life, that kind of thing. But they like the process. They like getting up in front of an audience and trying out new new material. And you'll hear them say, "I even kind of enjoy bombing because it, it I get feedback, like right. direct feedback." Yeah. So you're on your bike, you're doing a training ride. It's like, okay, like my legs are burning in a way that they shouldn't be. What do I need to do differently? Right. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I actually think it's part of. Uh, so like, I'm training for a big ride. It's the 30th anniversary of the triple bypass. Okay. Which is, if you don't know, it's basically goes from Evergreen to Avon. Oh, wow. Um, so it's like 120 miles and 10,000 feet. <laughs> and I've always wanted to ride it and never ridden it. It's the 30th anniversary, so I was like, all right, I'm going to do it this year. And so I've been training really hard, and I've gotten to a point where I think I enjoy the, being uncomfortable so much that, like, on the easy weeks, like when I have rec- recovery weeks in my training blocks, are miserable. Really? Yeah, because it's just so hard to take it easy. Oh, to not push. Yeah, which I think is kind of my life motto. Like, I'd never... I've never really sat still and I have a hard time <laughs> sitting still. Like I could never w- binge watch an entire series <laughs> on Netflix or anything because I can't sit still. So this is CJ Latham and you are the founder mm-hmm. of Bike Latte. Yep. It's funny. You're combining your two loves of coffee and biking. Is Has anyone done that before? Or, uh, or are you sort of like the first to like directly marry them together? Yeah. So, well, what's fascinating is, is when I, when I first started kind of product, like I guess, uh, thinking about how I was going to bring this product to market and, and kind of making some test recipes, there really wasn't anybody out there. Some things had changed in my day job. And so basically my day job was keeping the lights on. And so I kind of shelved it for like six months or so. What kind of thing were you doing? Like what was the day job? So I was working for a um, company out of West Palm beach, Florida, and we were basically architecting this big uh, cloud services network. So So, it's like it stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It stuff. And, uh, I had been there for seven or eight years and I just knew it was time to leave. Like it was just, I just had to do something different. And, uh, um, when was this? Uh, this was last, so October of 2016. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's fairly recent. Yeah. And even like up till then, I mean, I would see you do photography projects and stuff oh, yeah, too. Yeah. And that was all on the side? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so, that was the other thing. So like I've always like, I've always had this motto that I want to find something where I start living for Monday. 
Mm, yeah. Just because I see so many people wake up, you know, like my wife is a perfect example. Like I think she, she doesn't mind her job, but I don't think she necessarily loves it, you know? And she's, we always have this, this joke that Sunday, you know, like she's like Sunday night, we really can't do much because I have to get depressed because I have to go to work on Monday, <laughs> you know? And I'm the like, Sunday night blues. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I never, I was like, I got to figure out a way to not have that problem. Like, that sucks. Like, you, there's one thing that, that is not of abundance in this life, and that's time. Yeah. So, you can never get more time. You can always get more money. You can always get fitter. You can always get whatever. There's always more of everything else, but the only thing you can't get back is time. And so, I loved photography. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Did you take the photography class in no. high school? Yeah. So that's kind of where it started. Like, you know, I took all the art classes, painting, sculpture, photography. Right. And I was like, oh, I love shooting pictures. I love, and I was always really fascinated by fashion photographers. Hmm. And so I really got really interested in that. And then I found that really, if you want to make a decent living in Colorado as a photographer, you got to shoot weddings. <laughs> right. And, uh, and told my friends out there whose weddings I've shot, I'm sorry. Cause, uh, yeah, I just don't enjoy weddings. Um, <laughs> Your yeah. heart wasn't it? No, no. And, and I always feel bad too because you know, they'd always be like, oh, you should come shoot our wedding. And I'm like, well, if you want to hire like a real wedding photographer, I wouldn't feel bad about it. Like, right. You know, and I always kind of try to steer them in that direction just because like, I don't know, it's just not my gig. And it's really hard work. So for all the wedding photographers out there, I mean, it's, I give it to you because it's really hard work. I've had a lot of photographers on this show. And one of which we also went to high school with. It was early in the run. Crystal Welch. Okay, yeah. She uh, she shoots weddings, and but she like she loves the format. She loves the energy. She right. But she expresses it's a ton of work too. Oh yeah, it's a lot. Um, and then yeah, I've had different types of photographers, and photographers are either yeah, I totally do weddings, and they're like all in on weddings, yep. or just not at all. Yeah. So yeah, I can I I feel that. And so then I so then I, I mean I was still riding the bike a lot. And, uh, I guess my latest accomplishment is I got recognized as, uh, a sports photographer for this new light, uh, camera manufacturer called, uh, L16, Light mm-hmm. 16. And they did like a big feature and write up on me, which is pretty cool. Um, but really now I've, I've kind of, with photography, I mean, I still get requests and stuff, but I'm in a position now where I only shoot what I want to shoot. That's cool. Um, and I know that we can't all do that in business. We all have to deal with those people that maybe we, we do or don't want to work with just because of the, you know, the, uh, the necessity of money. But I think with photography, I'm kind of at that point. No, that's good. Coming back to something you said, uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite Warren Miller quotes, which is one seventh of your life is going to be spent on Mondays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So pick something that you love. Right. Um, because it, it makes Monday, it's not something you dread. Like right. you said, you wanted to look forward to Mondays. Right. Yeah. yeah Start living really for cool. Monday. Yeah. Living hashtag. for Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did make the hashtag sign. Oh, did he? So, okay. No, you oh, did. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay. So you're doing this gig and you're starting to get it off the ground. Mm. And I've worked a little bit in the, and I'm holding one of these in my hand and it's like, it's like a shooter. It's like right. It's like the size of a five-hour energy. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I'm curious because I did work in the beverage industry for like two months, mm-hmm. and beverage industry is incredibly cutthroat, incredibly competitive. At least it was with soft drinks. Right. You know where I was. How does one go about, um, particularly because your background is in business, mm-hmm. right? It's not in manufacturing. It's not mm-hmm. in you know. You're not like a chef. Right. Um, how does one go about starting a, a new drink company? So my, my first job straight out of college, I worked for a supplement company. Okay. So I learned a lot. Um, and so Stephen Adelaide, who's now, he's now the CEO of a company called uh, quick box, quick box fulfillment. But 
I mean, I just got to, he was incredibly awesome. So he was the CEO of this company called Isatory and Golden. And that was my first job. And so I did customer service. And then I also kind of did this like quote unquote promotions manager position where I was essentially going to all the trade, the big bodybuilding trade shows. So the Arnold, the Olympia, yeah, I was going to these trade shows every year. And so you really start to understand the sports science, right? Sure. And so really, as far as the formulation of making it, the performance side work, I had kind of already figured that out because I'd been down that road in my first job and really got fascinated. Because at that time when I was working with Ice Story, I was still kind of racing with RMRC. And so I was looking at, okay, well, what are we saying we need to do? What's the cycling you know, world saying? And what's kind of interesting in the cycling community now is like a lot of the bro science that comes from bodybuilding <laughs> um, is kind of trickling into cycling. And it's, so it's kind of weird to see like how cycling as far as supplements goes kind of seems to be really lacking kind of really? kind of behind. They seem to be like 10 years behind. And so I'd also owned a coffee company. And so I knew what you owned a coffee company too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so I had uh, started this coffee company called uh, cutthroat coffee and it was basically pour over bars in this uh, chain of barbershops. Didn't last very long. I think mostly because you, you have to learn when you partner up with somebody else, you have to learn that a lot of times it's just business. Uh-huh. And if the partnership isn't going to work, you got to cut your losses. Yeah. And that was kind of the situation I was in. That's tough. Yeah. That's, uh, it's not an easy lesson to learn and uh, a painful one too, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But I learned a lot. And in that, um, I became really good friends with the owner of Two Rivers Craft Coffee. And so... Over the last four or five years that I've known Eric, who owns Two Rivers, I mean, he's taught me so much about the specialty coffee industry, and I can't thank him enough. I mean, without Eric's insight and, and help, I mean, I wouldn't know a tenth of what I know about coffee now. And so, really, I was like, well, how do I... Because a lot of times in the summer here in the Front Range, it gets so hot. You know, it's 100 degrees by noon. If you're going to go ride, you got to go early. Yeah. But specialty coffee takes time, you know? So, it's like, mm-hmm. how do I... How do I have a, a great coffee experience and also be able to go ride my bike in the morning without having to take the time? And I was like, well, I could make a cold brew coffee concentrate, but on that with like the right amount of carbohydrate. And then if it was small enough to fit in my pocket, I could easily just throw it in the car, yeah. uh, drink it before I got on the trail. Or, you know, if I have something in the house and I could drink it mid ride, whatever. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. So as far as the being in beverage, beverage specific industry, I don't think I'm really too hindered by that because the market's so specific. Yeah. And now there are some other companies that are getting into, because cycling and coffee is this huge, I think ever since Eddie Merck's back in, I can't remember what, the 60s or somebody's probably going to uh, massacre me because I'm getting the years wrong on Merck's, but um, he was sponsored by a an Italian espresso machine company. Okay. And so it seems like ever since then, like coffee and cycling have just had this beautiful marriage, but nobody's kind of really trying to take advantage of that market. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of my attempt. So you're not trying to be all things to all people. You're not trying to mass market this like as, you know, so, you know, you're not Coke or Pepsi or no. Starbucks or something like that. No. It's uh, it's more like, Hey, if you love cycling, you love coffee. Um, what does something like this do for your performance? Um, well, I guess there's a couple of different, a couple of different ways to look at it. I mean, if you look at it just from like the, the caffeine side, um, the biggest benefit is caffeine will, delay the onset onset of muscle glycogen burn by up to 15 minutes oh wow all right so if you're if you're going to go out for an hour and a half two hours that extra 15 minutes can 
make or break you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of helps to delay that muscle glycogen burn. And then after that, so, so let's say you don't want to drink your pre-ride cold brew pre-ride and you want to drink it post-ride. Caffeine also helps to facilitate the carbohydrates going back into the muscle cell as glycogen. Interesting. So caffeine, I mean, that's why the UCI kind of mandates how much caffeine you can take. So I think it's an UCI. Oh, you know, it's a, it's a weird French word, but it's basically the governor governing body of like the world tour. Uh, oh, cycling, cycling. Team. Okay, I got yeah. it. Um, they actually tried to ban uh, caffeine for a while <laughs> and it was this huge uproar because it like, it, it is, it's such a, I mean like the pre-ride espresso shots in Europe is just such a big thing. There was a big uproar. So now they just mandate it. So you can only have so many micromoles per in your urine. Right. Okay. So yeah, there's like, there's a cap on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I follow you. Okay. And then the sugar side. So there's two different carbohydrates. There's a fast one and then a, a slow one. But what's interesting about the fast one is it's basically, it's like if you were to go to the hospital or because I also work in veterinary medicine, like if you were to take your, take your dog to the vet mm-hmm. and your dog has really blo- low blood sugars, they're going to give him glucose right? or, yeah. or actually it's dextrose. Um, and so it's a carbohydrate that is ready for your muscles to use right away once it passes through your intestinal tract. Um, so typically dextrose will pass through your stomach, but in order to get to pass through your stomach, you have to blend it with another polysaccharide because, other, because you raise the osmolarity of your stomach, which slows digestion. So you have to figure out a way to get that quick sugar in the stomach in the stomach, but then to have it digest quickly. Okay. <laughs> and so you can blend it with another complex polysaccharide, which will help lower the osmolarity of your stomach, which will then pass the dextrose through your stomach into your blood, and then your muscles can immediately convert it into ATP, and you can start making energy. The complex carbohydrate has to be, is complex because it goes into the bloodstream, but then it has to be processed by the liver. One thing that I notice is a lot of energy products use like fructose or sucrose, which is fruit sugars. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is with those sugars, it creates a fatty acid byproduct. So if you're out for two hours, the last thing you want to do is make a glucose molecule that you can then break down, but then also have this extra fatty acid molecule. Cause I mean, unless you're a world tour cyclist, we all have plenty of fat that we can burn. So we don't want to make extra fat right. during that process. And then fat also, depending upon the, how the carbon molecules are strung together, it's a lot harder to break down and not as fast to break down. And so I was like, well, there's got to be a sugar or a carbohydrate that doesn't have this byproduct. And so a lot of people are probably familiar, especially if you're in the beer industry, we use maltodextrin. Yeah. Because it basically gets processed by the liver, but there's no fatty acid byproduct. Okay. And so it just gets broken into then glucose molecules, which then are ready for the stomach or the muscle cells to use. (sighs) Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to rename this show to CJ of all (laughs) trades because we've now touched on IT... (laughs) Veterinary medicine, mm-hmm. um, photography, yeah, <laughs> cycling. Yeah, there's a lot going on here, man. And there's listening to you talk about this. There's a ton of science that I never would have known and never would have thought to pursue. Granted, mm-hmm. I'm not in this business. Yeah, but did that come naturally to you, or you know, given that you that you have interest in all these things? You know, you mentioned painting and photography yeah. and doing sculpture, and you know, that's more like arty. Typically, the art and the science can be in opposition. Like people tend to go to one or the other. Was it a struggle for you to get into all this chemistry and all this biology? No, I don't know. I guess I've never, I've never thought about that dichotomy before. And I guess for me, it's like whenever I get interested in something, I go all in. Oh, you go deep, huh? Yeah. I just have this crazy obsessive personality where it's like once (laughs) I, once I'm fascinated by something, I need to know all about it. So like 
the last five years I've gotten really fascinated by theology and uh, philosophy. And, and like, that's just another something I've gone like all in on. Who, who are your, who are your guys or gals? Like who, like what sort of, what's grabbed you the most? Who, um, like, is there a philosophical construct? Cause I have one. Um, but I'm curious about you. This is a whole nother, I guess we, we can go deep down this rabbit hole. I spent a lot of time in a Buddhist monastery. It was kind of like my safe, my safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was quite a while ago, probably 15 years ago or so. When you say safe place. Yeah. Safe from what? Um, I didn't have the greatest childhood. Okay. Um, and I did, and I, I actually haven't spoken to my parents in probably over three years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of things I was struggling with. And so down, down in Denver, there's a, it's a, uh, Tibetan Buddhist monastery. And so I used to go there every Wednesday and Sunday, you know, went for a teacher t- training program, they called it. And then just kind of like, what would be Wednesday night mass if you're, if yeah. you're Catholic. Um, so I really went deep into that a lot of time in, in Buddhist, in Buddhist thought. And then it wasn't until Easter Sunday or leading up to Easter, I just had this really weird nudge. Um, and I got really fascinated by the three major world religions, right? Mm-hmm. So Judaism, uh, Christianity and uh, Islam. And so there's a series of events that kind of just uh, were really strange and kind of had led me into kind of looking deeper. And I just had all these questions that, I mean, if you read any atheist board, you know, like if you go on a Facebook and you're like atheist of USA or whatever, right. and you look at all these like memes that they put up, I had all those exact same questions, but I had never really heard heard good arguments for them. And so I just started reading anybody from Richard Dawkins. So if you're not familiar with him, he's considered like one of the five horsemen of the mm. of the atheist movement. Sam Harris, two amazing theological thinkers like John Lennox, mm. who's the uh, he's actually John Lennox is really amazing because he's deeply deep. He has like a really really heavy faith, but he's also the mathematician chair at Cambridge. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Um, there's also another guy. I'm terrible with names, so it's going to take me a minute to remember, but. Uh, Another guy out of Canada, and he is basically a physics professor mm-hmm. and astronomy professor, and he he also has like a crazy spiritual life and is really heavy in his faith. Um, and then oh, what's his name? There's a guy out of uh, the UK that what's really fascinating. So I don't know if people have heard of this guy Rob Bell, but Rob Bell and like the, the whole Christian circles is is really kind of controversial. Um, he like built up this mega church. And then it all kind of came crumbling down and he walked away from it. And so like now, like in a lot of like Christian circles, if you mention Rob Bell, people are like, oh, you're one of those guys, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but it's like Rob Bell can say things. And then N.T. Wright, Professor N.T. Wright. So N.T. Wright is probably the foremost uh, New Testament scholar in the world. Okay. And N.T. Wright can say the exact same things, but he's so eloquent and so smart that people are just like, Oh, N.T. Wright, you're brilliant. Yeah, it makes sense, yeah. But here's another guy who's like a surfer, super laid back, built this like mega church, and he says the same thing, and people are like, oh, so you kind of see the hypocrisy in it. Um, right. Yeah, so I've kind of gone down that route. Um, I think spiritually, N.T. Wright has probably had the heavy, because I, I just love to really think a lot. I love to think really deeply um, and get like, I want like if I guess kind of back to my obsession thing, like I don't want to be surface level. Right. I want to get deep. And so like N.T. Wright gets really deep. So. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, and in terms of philosophy, one that I've sort of grabbed onto, and this is, this goes back to the Greeks and this, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a religious bent to it, but, uh, there's a philosopher named Erasmus and Erasmus's big construct was copiousness. And he, he had a, a work that was called on copia. And essentially it was, there are 
a million different ways of saying the exact same sentence. Right. And there are basically, if you can not master, but have appreciation for and attempt to practice as many as you can, then you'll be better off. And to me, philosophically, that builds empathy in the world, which is the whole reason for this show to exist. If we understand more about each other and if we can get into, like if, if we can peer through the keyhole of people's journeys and especially through the prism of work, because work is how a lot of people define themselves. You mentioned your wife, you know, like we can't really do anything Sunday because I'm not looking forward to Monday. Right. Right. That is work defining how she approaches the world. And a lot of people are that way. You know, your job kind of comes first. So if I can go to people and say, you know, hey, what do you do? How do you do it? How did you get there? There's going to be someone out there listening to that and go, wow, that feels like a very similar path. You know, maybe I didn't have the greatest childhood growing up, but there is, there's like a path. There's like a way out. Or maybe I'm unhappy in my job. What am I passionate about? How do I get it going? And so to that end, I mean, I'm deeply appreciative of what you do in that regard. So Thanks, yeah. Getting back, we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole yeah. there, but that, <laughs> that's cool. As you are getting bike a latte out there, pre-ride cold brew, yeah. is that sort of your flagship product? Are yeah. there others? Uh, no, so that's the only one I got right now. Um, we are thinking about making, we do have another formulation that we're thinking about talk, making. Um, and there's also some other uh, performance, I guess, performance enhancing ingredients that we could use. I think it'd be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really we got to, I got to, you know, we got to get this thing off the ground first and have it kind of be more, be more than just self-sustaining and actually start turning a profit for the right. company. Um, how far was, away from that are you? Do you think? Um, my goal is hopefully within two years. Okay. It'll kind of be my full time gig. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And what is it like? So going from formulation, like, hey, we got this idea. Um, we sort of understand the science. Here's how it could benefit cyclists. Here's how it could benefit people just exercising too. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How do you go from that idea to I'm holding one in my hand? Yeah. How do you get it to there? And then how do you start to level it up? Take me through some of the steps of what it's like to bring a product to market. To market. Oh. Um, and you should, I think that's the thing. Most people, you know, like when I talk to most people, they lose the forest for the trees, right? right. And sometimes it's just like, dude, just start. Like <laughs> whatever you got to do, just start. Um, You're not doing it till you do it. Exactly. I get that all the time with this podcast. Like yeah. I want to start a podcast. Yeah. Great. Do it. Start. Yeah. Just start a podcast. It's right. not hard. Right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, so for me, it was just, you know, I went to two rivers and I said, Hey, Eric, can I use your kitchen? And at the time, Eric was again, just cause he's like the coolest guy in the world, you know, was super supportive and he's like, yeah, you know, let me know, let me know how I can help you. And so just basically made some bottles, mix some stuff up and put them on the shelf, you know? And it was like in his shop. Yeah. Okay. And then where where is his shop, by the way? uh, 77th and Wadsworth. Okay. Yeah. So like up in Arvada. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And so I guess that's kind of how it started. Well, I mean, I was like printing late, you know, it was like just ordering, finding uh, bottle suppliers. I mean, I guess I kind of had somewhat of a leg up because I was in the supplement industry and I was familiar with co-packing and, you know, like at Isatory, we didn't make any of the products. Somebody else made them. We just had a warehouse where we stored them. And now we actually form, we actually made the formulas. So all the formulas were proprietary were ours. But I mean, there are a lot of companies out there that just white label. Yeah. So they essentially go to these manufacturers that say you're making a cold brew or, you know, and they just have these products pre-made. They're like, hey, we'll make you a creatine and you just put your label on it. 
so I, I kind of understood that whole market idea and, and business idea. So I just started ordering bottles and I actually like print, just printed labels on my home computer just to get pe- just to get people to taste it and try it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's got to look legit, right? You can't yeah. just show up with like a mason jar. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And just be like, Hey, here's, here's something I cooked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, if you, I mean, over the last, cause I really picked this back up, uh, last year and was like, I really got to make this happen. And, um, at the time, my buddy Ryan, who, you know, he was talking about this and we were talking about, you know, seems like everybody wants to open a cafe and I would love to own my own cafe again, which would be awesome. But anyways, I was like, well, you know, I was like, you're really good with people. Maybe you can help me get this thing off the ground. So I kind of brought Ryan on, on board. And once I did that, it just kind of really took off because then it, it allowed me to focus on just the production side. Yeah. So getting the product made. Ops. Um, yeah. Yeah. The whole operation side. But in that also, it's uh, initially I was like, oh, I need somebody to just take over sales because I just felt like I wasn't good at it. But I think it's really just about building relationships, things yeah. I've done in all of my other jobs and in business life. And, but I always just thought it was like this cold call thing and it really wasn't. Um, and it really hasn't been about that. So, yeah. So I guess again, to get back to it. So, I mean, if you look at from where it was two years ago when I initially came up with it to where it is now, there's been a hundred different labels. There's been, <laughs> right. I've sourced different, uh, carbohydrate. The, the ingredients have stayed relatively the same without, with the exception of trying to, the biggest thing last year in the last year was just trying to figure out how to extend the shelf life. And which is a really interesting conundrum because we have all these people now who are like, Oh, you don't want preservatives. You don't want all this stuff in your food. But then we also wanted to be able to last on the shelf for right. six months. Um, so it's like the market's really interesting because they're demanding no preservatives, but then they want the shelf life yeah. as if it has preservatives. It's a paradox. Yeah. And so we're actually using vitamin C. So we're just pasteurizing it and using vitamin C right now. Okay. Because uh, vitamin C is absorbic acid and it, it binds to the free oxygen in the bottle. So huh. it's really all about your oxygen content. Okay. So if there's no air then there's nothing for the bottle, nothing to grow. So even if you sterilize, if you pasteurize, which is basically just a sterilization of the liquid, if you sterilize the liquid and then you sterilize the bottle, you know, even in that microsecond of the filling process, something can get in there. Sure. Um, or there's can, can be some cross can, can am, contamination. I mean, you see it in a lot of facilities that have recalled all the time. There's somehow something gets cross contaminated. Right. Like recently, you know, romaine lettuce. Yeah. You know, with like, what was it, E. coli? Yeah. And you go, how? How did that happen? Yeah. yeah. But it, it happened. Right. And more than likely, it's probably at the the processing plant that's packaging and shrink wrapping it to send it off to grocery stores. There's some cross-contamination and something else they had, and and then it's off and running. So anyways, yeah. so yeah, so, we're like, so we've used vitamin C. I, I think um, when we go to bigger scales, the tougher, th- I think the hardest thing for most food products, and we got to meet with... Um, the food scientist for Noodles and Company. And so... How'd you hook that up? I'd actually know, got to meet the former CEO because a good friend of mine was his executive assistant. Oh, nice. And so I, um, a buddy of mine, Nick and I, we had a meeting with him because um, we were also looking at like, you know, what does it take to... Just basically to get his insight on a lot of business things. Uh, his name is Kevin. He's no longer the CEO, so I don't know if that was necessarily a good <laughs> meeting or not. But anyways, I met, you know, we had a meeting with the food scientist at Noodles and Company and she was like... You know, as your scale grows and you start making more of something, you're going to have to change facilities and where you get it made and how it gets made. And that's probably going to change how it's going to taste. 
Mm, interesting. Because of how, even though you're using the same ingredients, how are they putting those ingredients together? Yeah. So are you doing pre-bottle, pre-bottling pasteurization? Are you pasteurizing it in bottle? Are you using, you know, like with coffee, we can't use do UV light sterilization because that affects the 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 acidity of the coffee. And so there's all these crazy things. And then what's also interesting is I think if you're going to bring a product to market, you gotta take everything everybody tells you with a grain of salt. Mm. So. I've been trying really, really hard to find a co-packing facility in Colorado to keep mm. everything in Colorado. And I had a meeting with a uh, a bottling company, and the guy was like, "Oh, you know, uh, the acidity is way too. It's not high. It's not high enough." So a low acid food um, with the FDA is basically anything that has a pH below four point six. Okay. And I think it's it sits right at like four point. Or four, it's like it says it's right at four point six right now, but he he wanted it to be at, it needs to be at three point six. It mm. needs to be at three point six. Well, I'm like, oh crap! All right, so I got to I got to start reformulating. I start thinking about this, but then we have the meeting with the food scientist, and she's like, well, you have so there's so much sugar in itself, or carbohydrate is a preservative in itself. So like if you go if you call the the FDA is a really interesting uh, <laughs> company by the way, but. Um, like, so if you call the FDA, the first thing they're going to tell you is like, we don't tell you how to formulate your product. Um, you have to figure that out. Mm. And you're like, yeah, but I thought I had to follow your rules. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, if you're, they're basically, they basically told me when I called them, no, if you do, if you're claiming that you're curing cancer, then we might try to make you verify that. Mm. But other than that, we don't tell you how to make it. And so <laughs> I was like, okay. Cause I'm like looking at their website and if you're, if you're a baker, it's really easy to get in the food business because Baked goods contain so much sugar that the sugar acts as a preservative and there's not a lot you really have to do. Right. Okay. As far as like packaging goes and kind of all this stuff, it makes it really easy. And I'm like, well, I've got a lot of sugar. So do I fall under this, these guidelines? But I also have, I'm on the border of a non-low acid food. Hmm. And does it fall under the canned category? You know, there's like all these weird, it's, it's like the product kind of falls within all these weird guidelines. Right. Um, it's in like some sort of gray area. Yeah. Yeah. And cold brew coffee as a whole is in this weird gray area. And there's a bunch of articles out there right now with the FDA trying to figure out how they're going to handle it. But the interesting thing is, is that coffee is roasted. So it is a cherry at one point and then you pulp this, you know, there's many different processing methods on how you pulp the seed out of the cherry, Mm -hmm. which gives you the coffee bean, quote unquote, but then it's roasted at like 400 degrees, right? Well, there's nothing that's going to survive at 400 degrees. And then it's basically toasted, you know, so there's no, there's really not much for anything to grow in coffee. I mean, it'll go stale, yeah, but it's, you could leave coffee on the shelf for years and come back and you could still drink it and it's not going to make you sick. Yeah. It's not going to taste all that great. <laughs> right. Exactly. It'll probably be pretty disgusting. But, but you'll be, you'll be fine. Right. Ultimately. Yeah. Outside of some unpleasantness from the taste, but that's aesthetic. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So then so I guess that's the, just the thing is if you're going to bring a product to market, take everything with a grain of salt because then, you know, like, again, I hear one thing from one company oh, we can't bottle it unless it's a 3.6. And then I talked to a food scientist of a major corporation. She's like, no. <laughs> She's like, you have the acids of the coffee, you have the sugar. She's like, and you're using vitamin C. She's like, "There's." She's like, it's going to have a decent shelf life. So really now it's just, we've got the formula and the bottling down at, at the capacity we can handle now. So now it's a matter of just, uh, we've done some you know lab tests just to make sure that it we're, I, th- I would say our expiration dates are really, again, expiration dates are up to the manufacturer. So if you look okay. at, so if you look at, I any wouldn't f- have known that. Yeah. So it's not like, so if you look at a milk jug, 
that menu that milk manufacturers just like you know i'm i'm sure they're working with a lab like uh you know that probably had it tested and gave them an idea but really it's up to you to put that expiration wow. date on there so i mean i could put four years if i wanted to yeah um that's much more arbitrary than i ever imagined yeah uh and i don't think i don't know how well known that is i'm guessing not well known at all because yeah. Um, I've talked to, I mean, I've talked to people in the food business on this show before, and that has never come up. I never would have known that expiration dates are up to the manufacturer. And, you know, you, you hope that everyone is operating in, in good faith. And I choose to view the world in a way that I choose to believe that. Right. Like, I, I, I'm not a nihilist by any right. stretch. But um, the fact that, that, that there's not like a, a standard is, is really just sort of odd. But I think the way the free market is structured, and I guess I use free market a little loosely because we do have a lot of controls and stuff, but the way the free market is structured, if I put a product out there and I'm like, I just threw a 12-month shelf life on it, and then people start getting sick, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to make any money. Cause the people, market's going to correct you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think it's in the best interest of a food company to work with a lab. Like there's a great lab here in Colorado that does, you know, will give you shelf life testing and they'll do all sorts of stuff for you. But it's in the best interest of the company to invest that money with an actual lab to yeah, have right, those right. tests, at least to give you, it may not be perfect, but at least a decent shelf life. Yeah. You're within number. sort of, um, a, uh, a margin of error. Right. Call it that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something that you touched on because when I started this show and I talked about, and you know, you start building up sort of a back catalog, you, you have some success, you have a bunch of different people. And someone said to me, like, I don't think I know that many interesting people. I'm like, well, I'll bet you, first of all, I don't know all these people either. Like we happen to go to high school and graduate right. the same year together, which is always a fun show for me to do like, <laughs> yeah. because we have like, we have cool people in our class doing interesting stuff, which you know, I don't know how true that is across high school graduating classes, but whatever. The other thing is, I'll bet you do, but I'll bet you haven't bothered to ask them. Right. Like, and people have more connections than they think they do. And the reason I bring this up is because you were connected somewhat tangentially to the food scientist at Noodles & Company, right? Yeah. And you give them the opportunity to say yes. It's like, hey, we're starting this up. Can Can I borrow like... Half hour, hour. How long did you spend with them? Uh, I think we sat down with her. We bought her lunch, and so we met. just met over her lunch. So like an uh, hour. An hour, yeah. Yeah. It's like, can we talk for an hour? That hour is going to make a world of difference to me. You give people the chance to say yes. Right. Right? I mean, oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, that's so much of what business is. And the other thing uh, you said earlier was, I didn't feel like I was good at sales. There's a school of thought that what everyone is doing all the time is sales. Yeah. Like, every job has a sales component to it. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy because it's like even even just sitting down with the food scientist at Noodles, it's like there there's partially, I mean, it's an ask, but there's a sales aspect to it. Yes. Like yeah. how is this going to be worth your time? And I mean, if even if you're an accountant and you're you're presenting some project, like there's a component where it's like I'm not necessarily selling you. It's not like a hard sell, you know, I'm not like a used car salesman, but there's a sales component that says I know what I'm doing and these numbers are justified. So it's not enough. Like the numbers don't just speak for themselves. Like nothing sort of exists as it is without someone telling that narrative. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. I don't know what's your view, you know, love or hate Grant Cardone or, or however you feel, you know, a lot of people feel about him. But anyway, he, I think he has a great saying that's you're in this world, you're either being sold to, or you're the one doing the selling and you got to kind of got to determine where you want to fall in that, in that line. I, I think that speaks to agency too. Yeah. 
you know, it's like, are you a passive consumer of life and product? And, you know, do you believe the world acts upon you or do you sort of act upon the world? Right. And so that's what, that's a sort of craven way of saying it. But I, I don't think he's necessarily wrong if you unpack that philosophically a little bit. Right. And then I think there's another great saying that's, uh, you know, like it, with the sales thing, you know, it's like if it makes if it makes you uncomfortable, then it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have have now kind of lived by that. So like with the food scientist thing, you know, I'd met her and we had talked we had talked coffee before, but I didn't know like how she would feel. And it, like yeah, like I was nervous to write that email. Like, sure. Hey, hey Norma, can like I get, can I get, get an hour of your time? But once I kind of realized that if it makes me uncomfortable, then it's the right thing to do, then I should probably yeah. do it. Well, uncomfortable in the right kind of way. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not like, ooh, is this ethically right? Like, right. I don't know if I feel good about this. Right. But no, more like, ooh, am I uncomfortable just because I'm getting out of my comfort zone? Right. And so, yeah, you're. I, I believe in that 100% too. Yeah, not the rapey kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, should I dump this cyanide? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, uh, Should make a lot of people sick. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, are we borderline on the expiration date of these ingredients? That kind of thing. Like, right. that's the wrong kind of uncomfortable. Right. The right kind of uncomfortable is, wow, I'm reaching out to this person of power who probably has uh, insane demands on their time, and I'm just like this little, like, coffee manufacturer. Right. I'm going to do it. Right. Exactly. It was like me reaching out to Less Than Jake, this band that I loved right. and who were on the show recently. That's awesome. It's like, um, okay, I don't know if they're going to say yes to this. I'm like, you know what? They can't say yes until I ask. Right. So, like, put it out there and ask. Right. And did you And you had him on? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Great show. Great dude. It was uh, Vinny, the drummer. Oh, awesome. And so, yeah, that was... Uh, by the Those time guys the are still was, touring. Yeah. And still selling out, too. No it, it was them and face-to-face. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that brings you back, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I told him, I'm like, look, I've been listening to you guys for 20-plus years, and right. you're still putting out great stuff. Right. So thanks for taking the time. He goes, that's what it's all about. Where did they play at? Grand Junction. Oh, no kidding. So yeah, built a trip uh, around that with uh, with Jamie and Keith yeah. and okay. Jason Taylor. And uh, we all just drove out there. Sort of, We saw that they were playing out there. We're like, hey, let's get a guy's trip. You know, We're yeah. all dads. Like, right. We don't get out much. So. <laughs> right, exactly. But this is on the calendar. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do, do a that. whole thing around it. That's awesome. But to your point, like, I had the president of CSU Global on here. Oh, awesome. You know, so right. it's like, just try. Right. Like, just go for it. If if you think it'll be helpful and if, if you're, again, if you're uncomfortable making that ask, you're pushing in the right direction. Right. All right. So you said you hope for this to be a sort of uh, your full-time gig within mm. two years. Yeah. What are the incremental steps that you see to getting there? So this, again, that's, that's also a tough decision because or that's a tough, that's a tough road to map. I'm a, I'm the type of person where if you can, like with my nutrition, you mm-hmm. know, give me a cookbook and I can follow the instructions and I can do exactly what you tell yeah. me. And I've always just been really good at following instruction sets. There's no instruction set in business. Okay. Right? Let me ask you this. Cause this is feedback I got when I was an athlete mm-hmm. is that I was highly coachable, which meant, uh, which I think they were implying. It's like, if I trust you and I believe you, I will do whatever you say. Right. Like if, if, if I, if, if you are a credible authority and I have problems with authority, which I suspect you might be the same way. <laughs> right. Um, 
if I have problems with authority, uh, then it's because I perceive your authority to be bullshit. Right. Yeah. But if I trust you and I believe you and you're credible, like I will do anything you ask. Right. And so like to that end, yeah, I was always highly coachable. Same right. way. Yeah. I, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just tell me what to do and I can do it. But the thing is, is like marketing is an interesting thing, you know, as I go to conferences and everybody's a, everybody's a marketer. Right. And you, right. so I'm always like, okay, I, I didn't even, I can't even tell you the number of marketing books I've read. It, and I'm like, okay, well, what's your, your theory? Um, and everybody has a different theory and it seems that like half the people you meet that run these firms, their ideas, you know, I read five, six years ago and I'm like, well, is that really pertinent to today? Because right. things are changing so fast, but yet they're still in business and they're in, they're doing it. So I guess, uh, again, to reach that next step, you know, I had Ryan and I had to sit down and be like, well, what is our goal? And what are what are our shortcomings? And right now we feel it's just brand recognition. Right. So not enough people know about the brand. Um, and we're like, well, how can we have people know more about the brand? And we figured that that's going to be through strategic partnerships. And one of the partners that we've kind of have aligned up with really well is uh, Big Green Cycles and Golden. And oh, nice. uh, Seth, the owner there, and Helen, Helen, the shop manager, have been incredibly awesome to us. Um, you know, and I was just talking with Seth the other day and. I was telling him, you know, I was like, when Ryan and I were talking about this, I was like, you know, we really got to stick with, with you, with you guys, with Big Ring and, and you guys, because you guys, they, in Golden, there's 20 bike shops, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot, a lot of competition. And I think you learn really quickly, or maybe most people don't, but I think that one thing that I've learned is that you find people who are like, they're not just satisfied where they want to go. They want to grow and they want to do great things. But you also got to be smart in the in the idea of looking for people who are shysters, right? right yeah. And who just like, who want to grow business by doing shitty things. So by finding people who want to do it the right way and want to build a, a cool brand and a good community. And Seth just like blew out a shop, made this massive, you know, they're having their grand opening next weekend, which we're going to be at. And re-grand opening next week because they basically double-sized their shop and then they brought in Trek. And so the wow. Trek, Trek Braun, uh, Braun Trigger brand. And so to come back, it's like, you know, let's find people that kind of have the same where it can be mutually beneficial. Yeah. And so we started, well, let's, even though we won't make a lot of money through wholesale, let's really start to just get the product into shops, right? Yeah. And let's start focusing on, so we're like, all right, let's just try to get three new wholesale accounts within the next three months. So one a month, right? Yeah. And then let's have, let's have 15 by the end of the year just to start getting that brand recognition. And then we actually had a, a set of gyms that had heard about us. It's the Fit36. Uh-huh. So there's a bunch of chains across the, but they're all independently owned. So they're franchise companies. We had one of the owner of the one or the owners, it's two guys, uh, of the one downtown. They came to us and were like, Oh, we love coffee. We also love the mountain bike. We think it would be great. And so Ryan's like, yeah, but we have to be there at like four 30 in the morning or something ridiculous, you know? And, but then I said, okay, well, let's think about this. Does it give us brand recognition and does it help us? That's, that's our goal is to get it more people know about the brand. He's like, yeah, it does. And I was like, well, then we have to get our ass up and we have to be there, (laughs) you know? And again, I think sometimes it's those things where you, you think about, did I want to get up at four o'clock in the morning? Right. No, but I think it's, that's what's in business. That's what's going to separate you from somebody else. So hopefully in five years, when I look back and I've got a team of employees and I can write a check for $10,000 a month to whatever nonprofit or you know, charity organization I want, I can look back at those things and be like, I was able to accomplish those personal goals 
because I got up at four o'clock in yeah, the morning yeah. and I did that thing that I didn't want to do. And so that's really, I guess, brand recognition is our thing. And it's tough because we're so, we're marketed to so much. And so now I think it's really about just relationship building. Oh yeah. And you, we, you establish credibility that way. Yeah. So like with the correct partnerships, you, you know, you, uh, you lean on each other for credibility. It's right. like, look, you like us, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to sell you a batch of shit. Right. Right. So like with big ring cycles or, yeah. you know, fit 36, there right. are people who are brand loyal to those things. Right. When they bring in a new product, you hope that they're doing it in a very conscientious way so that anyone who's there is like, oh, okay, like I like this brand. I'll probably like, like this, this one brand. too. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. And something else that resonates with me is I had one project where I had to go to this community and get uh, individually signed letters from 200 different businesses. And people are like, how did you do that? I'm like, I drove my ass up there twice a week, drove around for several hours a day, established relationships with these businesses, and they signed them. It was hard work. I mean, like, it was ditch digging, essentially. Right, like, right. You, sometimes you just got to dig the freaking ditch. Right. And so I did that, and I look back, and I go, that's excellent. You know, like, I'm happy I did that because it allows me to sort of live this life I, I want to live. It's a means to an end right. is essentially what you're doing. Like, just because you're getting up at four in the morning doesn't mean you're going to do that forever. Right. 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 Exactly. Like, it's a drop in the bucket. Right. Um, and, it, and it helps you get to where you want to go. So right. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It is those things that, I mean, you at the moment, you're like, oh, I do not want to do this. But, yeah. but you do it anyways. And But I think what the hard thing for me is because I can't sit still. A lot of times, like, you know, I'll work all day and then I'm like, okay, well, I feel like I need to keep, I need to be working. I need to be moving. <laughs> I need to be doing something to, totally. to move this brand forward. Otherwise, it's going to sit stagnant. It's a lot of times I have a hard time saying, oh, well, what can I do? What can I do? You know, maybe I need to go do a new Facebook ad. Maybe I need to go do something, you know. Yeah. And so that's been tough because, like, I don't know, again, because I'm not following an instruction set. There's no instruction yeah. set with building a brand. And so I'm not like, okay, well, I've done, I've done number seven, so I can stop now. Or, you know, it's like... <laughs> I'm like, well, I have it's no idea. O'clock. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea what's, what's next. Yeah, it's 5 o'clock, so work's done, and you go, nah, it doesn't exactly work that way. Right, exactly. When, uh, when you work for yourself and when you're trying to build something on your own, you're never done with it. There are just times you choose not to do it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean, yeah. people are like, how do you know when you're done? I'm like, I'm never done. Right. With the nonprofit thing, the podcast, and then my actual business, I mean, you've got sort of like you're still working a day job, yeah. right? You've got that. You've got the coffee thing. You're still sort of doing photography. Like you could be going 24 hours a day, seven days a week yeah. if you chose to. Right. But the thing is like you'll burn out too quickly right. doing that. Exactly. So self-care is hard when you're an entrepreneur too. Right. Yeah. And that's been a struggle too because, um, you know, I try to spend at least five to eight hours a week on the bike. Yeah. It is. It's like hard to like, how do I get my training in? How do I... Um, and still manage juggle all these things and be a husband. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, I guess that's a great point because a lot of times, uh, you know, if you're going to start a, a business, it's like, you kind of have to be very selfish and yeah. hope, hope, you know, I've been very fortunate that Aaron's been willing to go along for the ride and has kind of really supported me in any crazy venture I've wanted to take on, um, because it is, it's tough, you know, like, yeah. She'll be like, oh, let's watch Vikings, you know? And I'm like, I can't. I got to go bottle. Or right. I can't. I got to I gotta go upstairs and write this article. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it, it becomes a very, but hopefully it pays off in the end. Who, who knows? Yeah. Right? 100%. All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what. This is uh, when we do plugs. Where can people find Bike a Latte? Plug, uh, plug that and plug anything else you want. 
Um, yeah, so I guess you can find it at our website, which is uh, com. Um, CO is in Colorado because some jerk in California is just sitting on the regular bikealatte.com domain. <laughs> um, happened to me too that the, the bastard who has uh John of all trades Twitter handle. Oh really? I offered to buy it from him too. And he hasn't tweeted since 2014. And he's just sitting on it. Yeah. yeah that's the way whoever this guy is in California. Um, and I've looked him up on, uh, whois.com. I can see him. It was about to expire. So I had back ordered it and then he, I don't know. He re-upped it for yeah. no reason. Yeah. God. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. So anyways, yeah. Bike a latte. CO is in Colorado.com. Um, or, you know, fit 36 gyms. If you're in Colorado, fit 36, uh, Highlands and, and Lodo and then, uh, big ring and golden. Uh, base camp cyclery in Denver, Denver, uh, Velo Soul also in Denver. And then there's a couple in Grand Junction that we're working on. So hopefully some more of your local retailers shortly. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this was an enormous pleasure. We haven't seen each other in how long, man? It's probably more than a yeah. decade, right? Yeah. Long time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was an absolute pleasure and I wish you continued success going Awesome. Forward. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That wraps up episode 178 of the John of All Trades podcast featuring CJ Latham, the founder of Bike Latte. Check out Bike Latte on the web, bikealatteco.com. I wish you continued success going forward, my man. It was great to reconnect with you. What a fantastic chat. Thanks for your time and insight. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. We're also on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. New episode previews go up on Monday. Get the jump on everyone else who is listening to the John of All Trades podcast by seeing who's coming down the pike. That's Facebook only. New episodes drop on Wednesday. You can find those on iTunes, Stitcher, or the homepage, J-O-N-OfAllTrades.us. Hit that subscribe button on any of those syndication services. New episodes will come directly to you. You don't have to do anything, although I will ask you to leave me a rating, leave me a review, and if you're feeling especially generous, share these episodes across the social media platforms. Bring more eyeballs and more ear holes to the John of All Trades podcast. I'm deeply appreciative of that. Got a brand new episode coming up next week. It is a special one that we come back to the Confidential Series give you some insight into an industry which you've seen before but may not know a ton about how it actually works day to day so that's next week thank you for listening and until i hear you again say goodnight crazy that's good johnny the john of all trades podcast is a part of the denver podcast network in the shadow of the mountains we, we speak, speak.